You're listening to The Place Tech Podcast. This episode is sponsored by ReTransform. I'm Kyle Tomisk, and today we'll be discussing digital twins and ESG. What exactly do digital twins do for real estate, and how can they help landlords meet sustainability targets? As we know, real estate has a huge role to play in net zero goals. The stark figure we often hear repeated is that the built environment is responsible for 40% of emissions. So the industry needs all the tools it can get to do something about it. To help us understand the challenges and possible solutions, I'm joined by Rohan Bulchandani, founder of ReTransform, a global tech provider for the real estate industry, and Daniel Schreiner, head of technical property management and ESG at Heimstaden, a Swedish real estate investor active in 10 countries, including Germany. Thank you both for joining me today. Rohan, ReTransform recently uh, launched Secure, a digital twin platform, which aims to tackle ESG challenges in real estate. Uh, can you explain what a digital twin is and what it can do for sustainability? Sure, absolutely. Um, so in the context of the built environment, the digital twin is really a 3D replica of the physical building. Both are then interconnected by data. And there's two types of data. One is static data and the other is dynamic data. So for an example of static data is, say, an owner, um, sorry, an operational or maintenance manual or a maintenance report. And uh, dynamic data is time series data, so continuous data coming from energy readings or air quality readings or occupancy stats. What the digital twin then is able to do is analyze this data, turn the data into insights, and then humans turn the insights into action. So there's this sort of closed loop leading back to the physical space as well. So that's typically what the 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 digital twin uh, uh, ecosystem does. The impacts on ESG are numerous. Um, so I think we're still at the very beginning of the sustainability journey insofar as uh, buildings and the built environment is concerned. Uh, but it does endeavor to make uh, improvements across you know, all three. So starting with environmental sustainability, either through lower energy consumption and carbon emissions, uh, reduced or recycled waste, uh, Social sustainability is improved through uh, better environments, um, better experiences and engagement for the occupants. Um, and that leads to improved productivity. And on the governance side, I think there is better governance because there is easier access uh, and quicker access to data uh, leading to quicker decision making. In terms of what Secure specifically does, can you give an ex a few examples of uh, some of the ways that landlords can can use Secure to be more sustainable? Sure, uh, absolutely. So I think the, the lower hanging fruit are really focusing on energy and air quality. And this also ties into two of the biggest challenges that we face over the world. So. Uh, say, for example, climate change and, of course, COVID. So energy reduction can be broken out into two parts. Uh, the first is what we call efficiency gains, or improving efficiency is really the most cost-effective way to reduce energy. And uh, I'll give you an example of, you know, our secure solution where uh, a leak is detected in, say, the third floor of a physical building. Uh, the system immediately sends a notification out to the facility manager as well as the plumbing contractor. Uh, they then look at this alert and know the exact location of the leak. 
the fittings uh, or couplings that are installed in that area, as well as able to look at maintenance history in that particular area. Uh, they'll have access to a video on potentially how to address the problem. Uh, the plumbing contractor can then you know, pack the right tools, head out to the facility. Uh, the, um, the mobile application of Secure will allow you contactless access to the premises and through virtual and augmented reality, it will guide you to you know, the precise place where the leak has occurred. So in this particular example, uh, a lot of time has been reduced in working out what is required and the maintenance time is, uh, you know, the overall maintenance time is reduced and as a result, you know, the amount of water loss is also reduced. So uh, that's another example of, or oh, that's an example of an efficiency gain. Mm -hmm. uh, the other is lowering energy use. So, for example, in the average commercial office building, 10 to 15% of your operational costs are due to electricity. And of this, HVAC and lighting account for 70% of that. So what the digital twin through its um, analysis and forecasts can do is understandings how tenants move through and interact uh, with each other in the building and then it allows to create more efficient uses or efficient hvac and uh, lighting management uh, through the building yeah, of course uh, but obviously you know as as you hinted to earlier esg is more than just just the environment so if we're thinking about the s for example the societal side of things, how do digital twins help a building's occupier, for example? So um, there's the owner and the occupier. So the first is, let's let's say, uh, owners today are looking to provide uh, more attractive spaces to their inhabitants, uh, uh, better user experiences within the space. What this does is it effectively increases rental yields over time. So that's one way owners can benefit, you know, through the creating this sort of transparent layer between business use of the building and the occupant within the building, uh, employee engagement is enhanced. Uh, there are some statistics around productivity improving as well as uh, turnover rates or, or attrition rates reducing. So this, this, is, this also has an indirect benefit. Uh, the energy use uh, reduction is fairly straightforward. I think with the uh, with the incorporation of the digital twin uh, and making a slight interventions, one can end up saving about twenty percent of the current energy costs. Uh, it was an interesting stat on, that I read uh, through an Arab report about twenty percent of all properties actually having a leak. So when, when we actually looking at this information there are multiple interventions that can be taken to reduce uh, you know the, the actual water waste um, and i think i think the last area which is also compelling is predictive or uh, maintenance so the digital twin will tell us how much a certain uh, system or appliance or a machine has been used and when based on its historical performance when it's due for uh, predict uh, preventive maintenance so th these are some of the areas. Now, uh, Daniel, you're based in Germany. Uh, and I'm curious, how does, how does Germany, how does the German real estate market approach ESG? And so, so, so some, of, some of the things that Rohan, Rohan's been talking about. 
Yeah, hi. In Germany, we have we cannot look as a whole country in this condition. We have to look in the um, splitted off federation system because we do not have a homogeneous um, law in um, in Germany about living and residential areas and contracts. So we have to look for the whole ESG role and put it then in the federal system of the only federal states in Germany. And maybe also in the cities and in the districts of the cities because there can be even regulations by the monumental protection or by the social protection areas. So it's not only looking all over Germany, it's looking first all over Germany and then looking all over the federal estates and then looking into the cities and the areas around. That's the first thing. I mean, how do you even, in, in your position, how do you navigate those all those differences? <laughs> I navigate these uh, by my team. And with the colleagues I have, um, we are focused on the areas and we are focused on the um, federal system. So we have different offices in Germany, like in Halle, in Hamburg and in Berlin. And so the knowledge is there and they work with the knowledge um, and I'm just playing the whole role and give the tools to my colleagues uh, that they can use in their own areas. Mm-hmm. So one, one of those tools must be you know, digital twin technologies. Yeah, how, one, one is, yeah. yeah. How, how do you use that? How, what's, what's the biggest benefit that you get from, from digital twins? Yeah, okay. Therefore, you have to divide um, commercial to residential areas because in the commercial areas, it's very easy to put uh, digital and prop tech uh, solutions in. You can have very easily digital twins um, because there is no regulation by law or not so strict regulation by law. And that's where you can act very easily, very quickly and very straightforward. But the problem of these buildings are the lifespan of the commercial buildings is smaller than the lifespan of a residential building. And so the buildings are in a better shape than the residential buildings. And in residential, come back to this, what we stand for is Heimstaden. Uh, you have a very narrow GDPR topic with the tenants. And so it's hard to get a digital twin all over. So we're going to start to build a digital twin or something like this with the common areas. The heating system, the common areas, the elevators, the ventilation, all that is used by all of the tenant together. What, what are some of the limitations then that, that you have uh, in, in residential property? Yeah, you're not allowed to collect data from each room the tenant use because of the GDPR. So you're not allowed to say the first room you have 20 degrees always and your heating is used seven hours a day. And then the second room you have just 17 degrees and there's no heating used. And in the bathroom, for example, you have 25 degrees, but only for two hours. So we, as a, from an ESG point of view, we like to have this data because then we can um, put the performing of a building in a better shape. But at the moment, that is not allowed because we are not allowed to put the to know how the tenants use the apartments and how that uh, tenants use one room. Does that mean there's a there's a stark difference in how environmentally friendly a commercial space is compared to uh, a residential space? Or is or is there a potential for there to be a big difference between the two? There's a big potential. Yeah. 
Rohan, coming back to you, uh, clearly um, privacy and cybersecurity uh, aren't just uh, aren't just issues in, in Germany. I mean, so can you give, give us a bit of a global perspective on uh, how smart buildings handle data and uh, how you know y- you yourself have approached this question? What standards you put in to ensure that the systems that you use are robust? Okay, so um, the sensors fall into different categories. I think to Daniel's point where one cannot measure uh, temperature or humidity within a particular room in a residential space, uh, the way we approach it in countries that do not permit that is we can review the energy consumption going into the unit as a whole instead of you know within a particular space. And that information can be shared with the individual user of that unit if they would like to. So one is A, to get the the unit holder's authorization and be to share that data with the unit holder because they could you know ma- undertake interventions to help lower their own energy cost and and usage uh, the same goes with water qualities typically the uh, the meters are outside uh, and so they one can get access to them they may not be metered by individual units unless it is a freestanding home um, so th- there are instances where we do or we can benefit by tapping that information from uh, residential uh, implementations uh, having said that the secure system uh, only focuses on presence it does not undertake any profiling activities so personal information is neither tracked nor stored anywhere within our systems so i think that pertains to the the data privacy aspect of it uh, there is another side of, of data, which is the cybersecurity part of it. And that is how do we control or securitize the data that's that's coming out of the digi- of the physical building into the digital twin. Uh, so there's, there's three parts to it. One is the actual sensor level data. Then the second is while it is in transit. And the third is when it's stored. So there are are a lot of I mean the market today is being flooded with uh, you know IOT devices some of which are you know just mass market produced cheap quality where uh, focus on on data security is not paramount so in some cases we are having to rewrite the firmware on some of these IOT devices uh, in any case within our secure system there is the need for each sensor to be able to authenticate itself uh, we then also do integrate with other uh, building automation systems that may provide us with data. Um, once the data is in transit, we have set up, or in our in- implementations, we set up our own virtual private network. And in larger buildings, this is a secure private mesh, uh, and the data is encrypted while en route. Uh, from a storage standpoint, we're using uh, uh, state-of-the-art Google servers that uh, have built-in threat detection systems and alerts us of any uh, potential security threats. So the data is always encrypted, whether at rest or in transit. Uh, We do have a technical infrastructure and security team that spends all their time on on this subject. And it's not surprising, but on a monthly basis, I think for the last three months, we've had between eight to 10,000 attempts Uh, or malicious attempts at uh, getting to the data on our servers. And this is not uncommon, uh, you know, in in the world we live in today. Mm -hmm. Because you do plug into whatever IoT devices a building has, is that correct? 
So the existing IoT devices will typically already connect to a building automation system or a BAS system. So rather than reconnect to those systems, we will just connect to the building automation system and uh, pull data from what's presently being uh, what's presently available. Uh, many buildings do have smart meters within them already, so we connect to the smart meters. Uh, older building stock is a little more challenging, um, but there we have uh, come up with some uh, innovative methods to get information out of analog uh, meters and uh, digitize it and then store it. And do you, I'd imagine there's a, there's quite a big difference between going into a building that's you know just, just being built and that hasn't that doesn't have a existing IoT devices and going into a building that has has all the systems already set up. But if you go into a new building, are there things that you recommend that the developer put in? Uh, any IoT devices that they that you recommend, or is it just a case of uh, working with what they already have planned? So our business model is really centered around built stock. So uh, our you know, we're not dealing with new builds as such. At least most of the new buildings that are being constructed today are fairly sophisticated in the technology that they adopt and the smart infrastructure or systems that they have. So in those cases, we really get into the operational side of, uh, of the building and existing, existing building stock, we help, uh, you know, moving them into a, a space where they have smart sensors and inc incorporate some of the smart infrastructure. Mm -hmm. Daniel, I saw that you raised your hand on our call. Do you have something to say? Yeah, <laughs> yes, because I think that's um, the best practice example should come out of the um, standing asset because it's very easy to go in a new build asset and put all the digital twin inside. I think most of the buildings, even in residential, are standing buildings and we have to put in there the things because there we can save much energy because new buildings are always in a, in a very ESG-friendly way built. And that's why I raised my hand. And um, that's why we also took uh, Kupernik, for example, our um, pilot um, with Rohan's team. And because there we have an empty commercial uh, area, about 4,800 square meters, the area in Kupernik with the commercial part will be um, refurbished right now. And put everything new in so we can start like a new building in an old way. And afterwards, if the if you have the law and the um, things from the governance, we can also put the digital twin up to the 100 apartments on top of the uh, commercial park. And that's where we want to go. So we have a best practice example out of a standing building. And also I want to say that we have, if we work together, the all the players, the landlord, the tenant, the government, and the prop tech companies, we have a win-win-win situation all over because the win for the tenant is that they have a sustainable cost reduction in the heating costs and the water costs. For the landlords, as Rohan mentioned, we have a win in the operation of building and, of course, um, the environment has a big win because we reduce uh, uh, coal dioxide emissions and we reduce energy use all over. So um, that is, yeah, where we have to, to think about to start in standing assets. Mm -hmm. So uh, on a practical level, if you are a landlord with uh, with one or you know loads of, of standing assets and you think, right, this sounds great. I want a digital twin in my building. 
how do you do that? Uh, Rohan, can you uh, give a little rundown? Uh, sure. So we first, you know, sit down with the owners and operators to understand what the, uh, you know, what the end goals are. Now, obviously, everybody says we want to get to, you know, zero energy and zero carbon uh, with a lot of the existing built stock that is, you know, just not feasible. So we understand what the goals are and then what the limitations around them are and then come up with uh, a plan also taking into consideration what uh, uh, you know legislative uh, impediments there may be within a particular region uh, at the end of this uh, study we will present uh, or we'll aim to quantify what the triple bottom line benefits would be to that building if we were to implement this technology uh, so we, we then have a blueprint of where we're going to and then once we once we actually implement it, we have something to compare back to, to to say that, you know, these were the original savings that we had envisioned and here's how we're delivering on them. So once that digital strategy is set up, the next uh, step will be to identify where the, uh, you know, the data blind spots are, where uh, digital information can be gathered, but we have nothing there. So we elect to put our own sensors in those areas. Uh, we go in and create the digital twin, which is the actual 3D model of the space. Or in some cases, we use existing, you know, elevations and plans where 3D models are not permitted. Uh, and then we integrate uh, everything together with, the, you know, we integrate our secure platform to get data from the sensors we've put in, from the smart meters that may already exist, from the building automation system, uh, and uh, turn it on, start running the analytics, add the alerts and, and uh, insights uh, and you know right from conception through to delivery and beyond we have to look at data privacy uh, data security and you know as you know this is a new initiative for us also so we're learning more uh, we're getting more feedback from customers from other uh, stakeholders and we, we're adding new features I think we also need to put in all the society, the tenants in this uh, thing, because we are surrounded with standing assets and uh, most of our tenants and the tenants in Germany do not know about the digital twin and what's possible with it. So we have to do a big education with all the tenants and the governments to show them that it's very necessary to have the digital twin and to have this data and to use this data in a friendly way that they can provide it and they can work with it. Because at the end, we can have a digital building, we have a, can have an insulated building, but if the heating is running and the window is open, nothing gonna change. So it's a, it's, we have to work all together, governments, tenants and landlords. That's the only way it works for to be a ESG-friendly way of living. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, Rohan, do you, do you think that uh, landlords and the uh, real estate industry broadly, do you think that they recognize and appreciate the, the benefits of digital twin technology? Absolutely. Uh, I, I do think they do. Uh, it's, it's impossible to ignore, uh, but it now has to move from you know, acceptance and ideation into action. So uh, this is really the beginning of the journey for, for many. Uh, I, I would assume that a lot of people would have have questions about the financial viability, the business case for for digital twins. I mean, 
could you just briefly talk about what the what the ROI is like on a, on implementing digital twins? So I I think with each uh, each implementation it's slightly different, but you know the data is very emphatic. Uh, digital twin does make a substantial or provide options for substantial uh, savings. Um, so say for example. We're now able to capture and organize and display the data. So we're able to understand and quantify what's happening. We then combine this with multiple data sources and identify you know, where there are inefficiencies that can be improved and which e each of these in inefficiencies, they're tied to you know, a certain dollar or euro uh, uh, loss. And we're able to quantify that and determine what the impact of the dig digital twin will be. On the predictive uh, guidance standpoint, you know, we're able to say what's likely to happen with the ongoing use of existing machinery or systems within a building and uh, uh, essentially safely increase the lifespan of the assets. Um, and there's other ways also, you know, there's the dynamic nature of modeling. So say, for example, if one is to host a large lecture at a university how do we model the occupancy within a space and how do we optimize the energy usage? How do we ensure the right mix of um, uh, humidity and temperature, providing the maximum thermal comfort to the occupants? Uh, just, it, it helps with logistics planning. Uh, there's, there's absolutely no, it's, it's a, you know, just the energy savings itself of a 20% energy saving more than pays for the, uh, the digital twin. Mm -hmm. Over what time? Uh, we can run different models, but at least the way we offer it is a digital twin as a service. So there is no CapEx associated with it. Mm -hmm. So it's not a question of, uh, you know, it costs us so much to implement and then uh, we need to, uh, you know, amortize the savings over a period of time. Mm -hmm. So our solution is just, you know, pay as you go. The, implement the implementation is on us. Mm -hmm. And Daniel, what's what's your perspective on uh, on how digital twins can can change cha can change the world for the better? Let's put it that way. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's right. I think uh, in ten to twenty years, all commercial buildings will have a digital twin in Germany, and we will um, will be by twenty to thirty percent in the residential uh, buildings. But we have a credit to credit also if you're looking to the 20% that will not be here in 2050, for example, that will be come to an end of their life circle. Because if you have a digital twin, you always know what kind of material is inside the building and where it is. And so you can upcycle everything. So that's very important to use this material once again and you can better use it or produce no new things or no new material because you know what you have. And that's uh, where we think about um, digital twins also. So I think there will be a big, a really big um, story about it. Um, but first in commercial and then in resi and residential areas and in Germany even a little slower than in some parts of the rest of the world. Rohan, coming back to you, uh, what do you think the future holds for real estate embracing digital twins, you know, if you're looking five, 10 years into the future, uh, what role do you see uh, digital twins playing in achieving ESG goals across, across the world? Okay so, okay, so here are a couple of interesting statistics. So 
I think you started off mentioning that uh, the built environment is responsible for 40% of uh, carbon emissions. Uh, globally, commercial and residential buildings account for you know 40% of the global energy demand, 60% of the world's electricity, and 25% of the global water usage. So just commercial and residential buildings are responsible for approximately a third of the global greenhouse gas emissions. So they are by far the biggest contributors to carbon emissions and really the perpetrators of climate change. So that's one. The second thing to note is that 80% of today's buildings will still exist in 2050. So it's not that we're building new, new we're not building new business buildings to address this problem. Uh, and we're not going to be able to build ourselves out of this problem. So we do have to honestly look at the existing buildings and find ways to make them more efficient. Uh, I think culturally we need to embrace, uh, you know, these new technologies, uh, you know, create spaces for the next generation. Uh, we're moving from the old buildings from an analog world to a digital world. And my children, for example, are you know, what I call digital natives, or they've grown up expecting a certain level of um, uh, digitization, and people are going to demand greater control and transparency. Mm. Uh, the other is from a, you know, more macro perspective, is that governments, several governments have agreed to the Paris Climate Accord. Uh, several governments have committed to certain uh, CO2 reductions, uh, you know, at the COP26 summit. And some of these goals are easy to say, but more difficult to achieve. So, for example, uh, how would one reduce carbon emissions in a building by 20% by 2030 or by 80% by 2050? So what does that roadmap look like? And it starts with the establishment of these smart sensors and the smart infrastructure. So I think the role of the digital twin will to enable uh, these changes uh, is critical but but you're uh, you're feeling optimistic about what it can do for for the industry yes absolutely i think uh, i'm extremely optimistic on what it can do i i think it must be done well that's that's a great point to end on and i'm i'm sure as as the word spreads more and more of the industry will you know em embrace technology like yours, uh, Rohan, and uh, hopefully in a few years, we'll be talking about this as if it's you know completely normal. Thank you, Rohan and Daniel, for taking the time to share thoughts today. It's been a pleasure. For all the listeners out there, if you want to find out more about ReTransform, go to www.retransform.com. Thanks for listening. Subscribe to our weekly news roundup for free at placetech.net slash subscribe.